Welcome to the Propel Podcast, inspiration and training to grow your church. I'm your host, Larry Witzel. Seventh-day Adventist churches grow differently, and our goal with this podcast is to offer practical training for effective evangelism in the Seventh-day Adventist ministry context. If you've been enjoying the Propel Podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Send an email to podcast at propelconference.org. And if there's something in particular you'd like to hear more of at a future Propel Conference, or if there's anything else you'd like to tell us, please email podcast at propelconference.org. Also, we'd love it if you could take a moment to leave a review for the podcast on whatever platform you're using, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, whatever. Your review, good or bad, will really help us. This episode once again features Richie Halverson, Director of Church Growth and Revitalization for the Southern Union Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. He coaches churches, pastors, and lay leaders to maximize their impact in evangelism, church planting, and revitalization. I've appreciated Richie's ministry over the years, and when we began dreaming about the Propel Conference, Richie was actually the first speaker that I called. This episode is the first of two breakout sessions that Richie did on reaping meetings. And in this first presentation, Richie gets into the practical nuts and bolts of how to hold evangelistic meetings, covering everything from vision and seed sowing and pre-work to budgeting and style. Richie has decades of experience with this, from the time he was a child attending his own dad's evangelistic meetings, all the way through to the reaping series he finished just a few weeks before the Propel Conference. If you want to get better at holding evangelistic meetings in your own church, this episode will be a real blessing. Before we get to Richie's presentation, though, I want to give a shout out to eAdventist, the sponsor of this episode. eAdventist's mission is to provide Seventh-day Adventist churches with the software tools for membership and church management. They offer a mobile app for members called My eAdventist and church management tools for church clerks and pastors. They also provide trends and insights for church vitality and evangelism, and I encourage you to subscribe to their newsletter at eadventistnews.com to stay up to date with what this team is up to. That's at eadventistnews.com. Okay, let's go to the presentation in this episode. Here is part one of Richie Halverson's two breakout sessions on reaping meetings at the 2023 Propel Conference. So I'm going to cover these 14 points uh, on evangelism. I'm going to talk about vision, budget, equipping, sewing, serving, style. We're going to talk some about that. Advertising, volunteers. I'm going to try to give you a really good practical things that you can do that I've seen success in evangelism. Appeals, um, sealing decisions, baptism, follow-up follow and discipleship. So first let's talk about vision. Uh, notice in Acts 2.42... God's early church had a vision of evangelism. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every uh, soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received the food in glad, generous hearts, praising God having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So some things about vision here. They were daily getting together. They were breaking bread together. They were talking about vision. They were talking about mission. It says here that all came upon every soul. 
If, if we don't get excited about evangelism, we can't expect the people that we're there to serve to get excited about evangelism, right? If we're not enthusiastic, then we can't expect, and, and not everybody's enthusiastic the same way. I understand this, but we have to get excited. That stuff is contagious. We've got to cast a vision of evangelism and, and kind of make it a priority in our lives and in our ministry. And so vision, vision, vision. Man, I'm, I'm, daily, I'm daily casting vision as, as a pastor. I'm having conversations and I'm casting vision. When I preach sermons, I'm casting vision. Every sermon, I'm, I'm saying, you know, hey, we need this to be a safe place for hurting broken people to come. I really believe one of the reasons why we don't see more success in our evangelism is because not every church is a safe place to come. And then I'll hear people say, well, we need to get healthy, and then we'll do evangelism. But that's, that's kind of a false, a false concept. It makes sense in our minds, but the only way we do get healthy is by doing evangelism. So there, there is some truth to that. We need to get healthy. We need to cultivate an environment of healthy where it can grow, where people are going to be safe. But that doesn't happen without doing evangelism because what we're trying to do, we're trying to be other-focused while still being inwardly focused. This idea that we can become healthy by just being together and not going into the community doesn't happen. We get, we get healthy as we go, um, not before we go. And so we're always casting this vision with people. Every time I'm talking to the leaders, I'm planting seeds. I go to a church, I'm, I'm kind of casting this vision, planting seeds. So sermons, conversations with your leadership. I don't go into a, you know, I don't go into, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit more with the board meeting, but I'm always casting vision of evangelism long before I ever make it an agenda item in my church. You know, you're building up a momentum. You know, and, and, and you're, you're casting this vision. Uh, board meetings. I, you know, I've never asked permission to do evangelism. I've never gone to the board and asked that for their permission to do evangelism. Now, yes, to do in a meeting, to, to, to have a budget and set it and to spend money, it needs to the auditors, right? They're going to want to see that there was an agenda item and you voted it in in your board meeting. So that's important but the way I frame it. So, you know, when I go into those board meetings after I've been talking about it, um, casting that vision, you know, I'll say, hey, you know, I'm so excited about doing ministry with you guys, and, you know, and I'll talk about the importance of mission and community, and, man, we want to we wanna begin this through this reaping series, and, uh, you know, and I'll just start casting this vision. And then I'll bring them in in dialogue. I listen to some concerns. People will say, yeah, well, we did that, Pastor, and it didn't work. And I'll listen to them, and I'll say, okay, I understand that. Sometimes it doesn't work, but let's just give it another try, okay? I don't argue with them, but, but, but I just encourage them. I say, well, let's, let's give that another try. Because um, I've done some evangelism that didn't work sometimes, but, but I've done other evangelism that does, and I promise it works. Uh, people will say, well, you know, this area is different. Every place I've gone to tells me the same thing. Evangelism doesn't work in this area. You know, you go to up in Wisconsin and Minnesota, 
It's like, oh no, you can't do evangelism here with all these Lutherans. Okay? You go down south, it's like, oh no, you can't do evangelism there. There's the Bible Belt, the Baptist country. You know, it, it, it doesn't work. You know, you go up to the this area, oh, those Catholics, you just can't. It doesn't work there. You come out here, oh, it's just too secular. It doesn't work. Everybody has that same idea. And I'm not saying, again, that we don't need to change our methods some. We do. But evangelism works. The power of the Holy Spirit works. Loving people and, and, and being with them, that, that works. Um, so evangelism does work, um, but maybe we do need to reevaluate the way we've been doing it. Maybe our approach does need to change. Um, so casting vision, long before I go to the board meeting, um, that's always important. I always have my elders meetings before my board meetings. And so I'm talking to my elders about this. And I know that if I go into an elder meeting and I don't have my elders buy-in or maybe the majority of my elders buy-in, I'm not going to then go and bring it to the board at that moment. I'm going to do a little bit more groundwork. I'm going to try to diffuse more and, and win them to this agenda. Now, some churches and some elders may fight you forever, and you do have to go straight to the board. I've seen situations where they had to go straight to the church business meeting to do evangelism because the board was incredibly toxic and dysfunctional. So sometimes we got to deal with things like that. But most of the time, I know if I have my elders buy in, that most likely, you know, and that one of the ways we pray about these things is, is, is through this idea of God's providence, you know, and, and allowing the Lord to lead. And so if the elders, we talk about it, we, we, we have it out and they embrace it, I can move forward in the board. And the reason why I do this, if you don't do your groundwork before you go into the board, you don't know what people are thinking. You don't know the negative experiences they've had. And if you go into a board meeting to promote your evangelistic meeting and then, or your reaping series or whatever, and they shoot it down, it's going to take you a long time to build the momentum back up again. You're going to walk away from it disheartened. And it's just going to be harder for you to make a turnaround. So I can't stress enough the importance of casting vision. Not only that, I always have, uh, my dad always called them the evangelistic rally. I call it my launch weekend where we are casting this vision. So after the board votes in the budget, we will have this launch of that year's initiative evangelism. And uh, that weekend, you know, I'm preaching a sermon that's casting vision of evangelism. Uh, we, you know, I have a training that afternoon. I may bring in a guest speaker. You know, we have great worship. We spend the weekend together and we cast this vision of evangelism. So now one of my roles in evangelism is <clears throat> I'm trying to go away from doing evangelism just as one single event. And we're trying to go to more of a longer term evangelistic process. And I'll kind of explain what that means, but I'll have a launch. I'll come in, I'll cast the vision to the local churches, and we're going to be working together for the next six to nine months. We have monthly trainings of different practitioners that come in, teaching on a different subject of discipleship, or maybe connecting with the community. We're going to do outreach. We're going to do community service. And the reason we do this is because, A, 
only doing the event, only having the reaping series is not a holistic approach to evangelism. And, and you know what? When, when, when our country, 90-some-plus people uh, identified as Christians, you could. You could do a mailing, and, and people would show up, and, and you could just show them in the Bible where maybe their current church was not teaching, and we could baptize people that way. And, and hallelujah, I still send out handbills. I still do advertising. I'm a believer in that. But we used to be able to just do the event, and we didn't have to do everything else. Those days are gone. And I think God has allowed those days to end because we really were not discipling people for a more holistic approach to evangelism. You know, we could just bring the evangelist in once a year, and he would, he would do the work for us. And there is a time to bring in an evangelist. Um, but the church, we've got to empower our people to be, to be doing the work of evangelists as well. So we have this launch weekend where we're casting this vision. That, this is an example of one of our revitalization campaign or one of our revitalization initiatives. And so, you know, it starts with the launch. Then I had an empowerment Sabbath. I brought in another speaker. We had our Atlanta door-to-door -door Sabbath. We, we had another empowerment Sabbath. We have our SALT training, Southerns lay training that we provide to those local churches in Atlanta. You know, my dad comes in, does a 40 days of prayer empowerment Sabbath. We have a Compassion Atlanta. We've rented out Piedmont Park, the largest park in Atlanta, and we are going to just spend the day with our local community. We're going to have inflatable bouncy houses and slides for, 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 for the community to come, and we're going to have fun together. We're not going to just be there passing out literature because people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. We need to build relationships with people. And when you have a relationship with people, then maybe the time will come where you want to give them uh, some literature. And I'm not saying there's not a time to give literature, but again, no book can replace a person investing in someone's life. Okay, so... We do that. We have a compassion event. Then we do Unchained, Hope and Healing from Addiction. I'll talk more about that. That is a virtual series because we got to be in gate. Well, you guys, a lot of you may know about it because we did it and filmed it here in Oregon. And then I went to the Oregon conference. And I was like, can I take this and use this? And now I use it in my evangelism. And, and we are interviewing local people who are victorious in addiction and, and sharing their story. And I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. Okay, let me, let me talk briefly about budget. Many of you probably know how to build a budget. Maybe you don't. That's okay. I want to touch on this because I want to give you practical tools. Um, you need to find out and talk to your local conference and see how much they're giving. Every conference does it differently. I've been to some conferences where the conference would match you in what the local church did. And then I've been to other conferences where basically... The local church gave a smaller amount, but because the church gave so much in church advance and tithe, that the, the conference paid the, the, the bulk of the evangelism budget. Every, every church is different. Every conference is different. But you got to build a good budget. If you go into a board meeting and you're not really sure of what you're doing and you, you don't really have this stuff clear in your mind and you, you kind of just throw it together, it's going to come through and it's going to be harder to connect with people. 
Um, so find out how much the conference will support. I always speak with my treasurer, and we're looking at this stuff. i got to be on the same page. In recovery, we would always say that the meetings that were the best were the meetings that happened outside of the meetings. So the idea was, so in 12-step in meetings, you go for an hour, people share their experience, strength, and hope, different people share, meetings over. The real magic happened in the meeting before the meeting and after the meeting, when we'd go out to eat together, right? When we would just be talking one-on-one -on -one and building relationships together. The same goes for board meetings, I believe. The best board meetings are the meetings that are happening before, when you're interacting with your leadership, um, when you're, you're vision casting with them, you're talking about the budget with your treasurer. You got to be on the same page with your treasurer or at least working together on some level. Um, so, so you develop this budget. Here's just kind of an idea, a little bit of an example of, of, of a budget that I've put together. So I've got this for training events. I've got how much those are, community events, Bible study materials, the reaping series, and I have that all listed there. And then I have the evangelism budget pr pr proposal um, and, you know, the, the conference, we're basically splitting it. The conference is paying 8700 in whatever, and the church is paying for that much. I've seen the, the conference support local church evangelism more when the church is willing to put skin in the game. So what I, I've always approached it with my conference, again, everybody's different, and please don't quote me and saying, well, you know, because I can do that here because I won't get in trouble because people don't care what I think. But if you go to the, if you go to the ch conference and you say, hey, our church is willing to do this, can you match us? I've been able to always get more from my evangelism budget because we were willing to match that. Um, there's other creative ways of building money to support it. You know, we always, in most of my churches, we did end-of-the-year giving. And a part of the end-of-the-year giving, one of the goals was evangelism. So we would give three options for people to support usually. You know, a community outreach program, or, you know, maybe it was our school, or it was the building project. But evangelism was always one of those end-of-the-year giving options. Because, again, if you want evangelism to be a priority, you've got to make it a priority in everything. Does that make sense? Let's talk a little bit about equipping, you know? We, we've got to equip and empower people to be able to do evangelism. Ephesians 4.12, equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So that's why we always do training events. But you want to know one of the most important aspects of training events, more than any best practice or tool or program, it's getting people excited and casting vision. It's building momentum and giving them practical tools of what they can do in the everyday things of life. I think that we, we have kind of, in the past, said this is what evangelism looks like, and I think we need to change that to where we help people see that they can use their unique giftedness to contribute to evangelism, and they don't necessarily have to preach an evangelistic series. We're, we're not all created the same way. Um, and I don't, I, you know, and, and I think that's such an important thing to do. And so we'll have training events that are dealing with these issues. Um, but there's a risk with training events. I do a lot of conferences like this. I 
am the co-host of, of one down in the Southern Union that we do, EC3. I believe in them. And I do a lot of training. But the key is we got to make sure that we practice what we're learning. Because we've got more trainings than ever before. And it's not always being practiced. <laughs> so I love this quote by Oz Guinness. He says, at both the popular and the academic level, the ratio of talking to doing is grotesquely out of line today. And one of the dangers of our, our specialized times is that apologetics, he's speaking about apologetics, but insert evangelism, insert anything here, will become the art of apologists talking to other apologists about the apologetics, but never doing it. So training's important. But sometimes we're doing so much training and we're not actually doing implementation. Um, and, and we need to watch that always. One of the training events and, and resources that I use in equipping members is this BLESS. I think, I think Dave Ferguson is the name. Is that right? Thank you. Dave Ferguson has this. I mean, I got this, I think, for free online in an ebook. Phenomenal. Um, another writer, Michael Frost, he has a different acronym. He calls it the BELLS acronym, Five Principles for Highly Missional People. But I like BLESS. Um, they both basically say the same thing, uh, but I just, yeah, BLESS makes more, more sense to me because God's calling all our members to be a blessing. You know, we may not all be called to, to be, you know, an evangelist preaching an evangelistic series, but we are all called to be a blessing. Every single one of us, we are called to bless people in the everyday things of life. And so this is one of the resources that I use. It begins with prayer. Okay, it has listen, eat, serve, story. So the first assignment that I give every church member can do this is pray for eight people who are not Adventists that live in your community for 20 minutes each week. And I, you know, this is what the book gives you. You can put those names in there. And then people say, well, because I'm going to be real. I, I, I'm, I'm a natural introvert. And so, you know, I can preach to a group of, of thousands, but I struggle when it comes to one-on-one, -on -one, not one-on-one, -on -one, but, but going and, and knocking on someone's door and introducing myself. That, that intimidates me, but I make myself do it. So if people say, well, I don't know eight people who live around me. Well, that's a wonderful opportunity for spiritual growth. Because there's a problem if we, if the first time your neighbor ever meets you is when you're giving them an evangelistic series handbill, there's a problem. People aren't stupid. And they know that you're trying to sell them something. I believe in giving them the handbill, but first be in prayer for them. First get to know them. Don't give it to them and you don't even know their name. So what a wonderful way to get to know their name, to pray for them. Okay, pray for eight people who are not Adventists and you could, you could use the eight people around your cubicle. And I just challenge them through this. So begin with prayer. Next is listen. You know, you know, we Adventists love to talk. We're not always so good about listening. We want to give people all 28 fundamental beliefs within the first 28 seconds of having met them. You know, 
And, and, you know, we just want to give it all to them all at once. We've got to train our people to do better at listening, better at listening. You know, I, I had a, I had a, a, a dear saint, beautiful Christian woman was one of my greeters for a reaping series. In the reaping series, I stress, please don't give out any literature that we're not giving because we're giving this stuff to people in a systematic way. And, you know, she was having a conversation with someone and she was doing a lot of talking and the person seemed to be resonating with her. And so she went and grabbed a book, um, What Seventh-day Adventists Believe. This was opening night. And, and it was just too much too soon. We never saw that person again. And I'm not saying, I don't, you know, I don't believe in hiding who we are. I don't believe in, in that. But, what I'm, but we do need to give things to people in, in, in a systematic way. And we don't just need to throw everything on people all at once. We, we need to do more listening. Um, and, and so, I, I don't know if I have, oh, I have, I've got animation in this. Okay, assignment. Listen to someone for 20 minutes each week who is not a member of your church or not an Adventist. Um, you know, just be intentional about listening to someone without the feeling to, to need to say something. Um, let's become better listeners because I believe Good evangelism is not in having all the right answers. It's in asking the right questions. And you cannot ask the right questions without listening. Um, connecting the dots with someone's experience. Listening to what they're really saying. That's, that's how we become a good evangelist is listening. And so these are things that I'm getting the members to do. Next, we, we, we do eat. You know, and, and the assignment for eating is to uh, eat, have one meal each month with someone who is not an Adventist. Uh, you know, these are simple things that everybody can do. And I'll challenge the church that, you know what? I love our health message, but for some people who didn't grow up with that, and, and, and you get away with it maybe a little bit more here in, in the Pacific Northwest, because you guys seem to be a little, little bit more health conscientious than we are down in the South, where we just fry everything, um, you know? Uh, but the fact is, um, if, if you can't have a meal with someone that is semi in the realm of, 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 of normal, you know, and, and, and I've had some good lentil loaves, but that probably is not the meal that you want to provide to someone implementing this practice. Because the fact is, you know, you're, you're thinking about yourself and not about them. And you want to connect with them. No, don't make something that you don't feel comfortable making. Um, but maybe just take them out to eat. But serving someone a, 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 a loaf that they think is disgusting and nasty does not convey the health message. You know, it doesn't. It, it doesn't convey the health message. So, so this is about connecting with someone. You know, there's things that you can cook, you know, that, that, that doesn't do that. And so I'm going over this with the church members. Even if you just had a hot drink, have some decaf coffee or something, you know, these are things that you can do with someone. Just 20 minutes, you know, just one, inter, one month, once a month, that's it. Um, next, serve. Serve one person in a simple, practical way each month who is not an Adventist. There are so many simple ways that we can serve people. Many of you are already doing it. 
I'll never forget when I had a church member, uh, uh, one of our seniors come up to me. Uh, she had recently broken her hip and uh, was very independent, a widow. And, and she said, Pastor, could I, you think I could pay your son to take my trash out each week to the road? And, you know, it kind of, it hit me. It, it broke my heart that here a member of a thousand plus membership church is having to, is asking me and, uh, to, to pay for my son to do it when, when, man, the church, we need to be all about that. Just think of the blessing that does to someone. So it's not rocket science. It's stuff, stuff like that, you know? It's not difficult, but find a simple way where you can serve someone in a practical way, not serving them the way you think they need to be served, but serving them in a practical way that meets their need right now. So we begin with prayer, we listen, we eat, we serve. Last acronym is story. Intentionally look for ways that you can share your experience, strength, and hope with someone who's not an Adventist. And I promise if you do the other things, people are going to ask for the hope that is in you. They're going to want to know, man, you know, tell me about yourself. They're going to want to know about these things. So I'm a big reader. I'm a big book collector. I like to collect old books um, and, and signed first edition books. So wherever I move, I try to find a good bookstore, a good used bookstore. And I'll never forget, I, I, when, when we moved to Cleveland, um, Tennessee, I found one of these bookstores, and I, I made a point to practice what I preached, and I, I, I just listened. And we don't do this as an evangelism strategy. We do this because that's what it means to be a Christian, okay? But when you do live like a Christian, God's going to bless you with fruit, okay? So do this just to do it, but God's going to bless you with fruit. So I'm, I'm at this store, and I'm getting to know this individual. I'm making a point not to talk about myself. I make a point to just listen. And so she starts talking to me and, uh, you know, asking me different things. And I'm asking her questions. You know, so tell me about this, and how do you do this? And I'm really trying to engage with her and listen to her. And she starts telling me the story of how she's recently come back to faith in, in Christianity, you know, and that she's, she's attending the local Catholic church. Now, I did not decide that was the moment to talk to her about the mark of the beast and the Antichrist. Um, no, I'm not going to do that. I am going to recognize, here's someone who did not even believe God existed, and now she's coming back to an idea that, that God existed, and she believes in Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father, and, and my God's got a thousand ways to reach people, amen? So I'm not going to rain on her parade. Sometimes we love clipping people's wings. I had a pro professor at Andrews who said, be gentle with people. You know, it's like we love to clip their wings, you know. No, grandma is not up in heaven. She's dead in the ground, you know. No, you can't eat this. You can't eat that. No, you know, no, be gentle with people. And so I'm just listening to her. She's talking about this. And so we just continue with the relationship. I'd stop in maybe once every couple of weeks. Finally, several months go by, and she says, she asked me, well, what, what, so, so I never asked you, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm actually a pastor. And she's like, what? You're a pastor? And she starts talking to me about things. She starts asking me questions. Um, you know, I try to find areas where we can agree, not areas that are going to divide us. 
And, and, and so we start making connection. We start talking. She starts coming to me about questions and things. And so recently, because now I, I, I live about 30 miles further from there, but I still go up there once every couple of months. And I was up there, and, you know, she knows that I'm an Adventist pastor. She, she said, man, pastor, I, I checked out your sermon that was posted. Da, da, da. Man, that was a blessing to me. And, and this last time I went up there, she said, hey, pastor, next time in your town, let us know, because some of my friends want to come and hear you preach. Imagine if all of our members are, are kind of building these kind of connections. Then people are asking questions, and they want something that we're offering them. And I think this is an important thing for us to do. Um, it's, it doesn't, it's not rocket, rocket science. If every one of our members just did the BLESS acronym, man, if we were just a blessing to people, then when we do our reaping meetings, there's going to be success. You're gonna, there's going to be a harvest. I think we need more gift-based evangelism. I think we need to align people with their giftedness. There is one body, but we have many members, and not all the members have to do it the same function. Not everybody is going to do evangelism the way I do it, and that's a good thing. Now, we need to learn from each other because there are principles that an effective evangelist or someone who is effective in soul winning, there are principles that they're implementing that are universal. Um, but we need to look for the principles. We don't have to do it the same way. We don't want to do it the same way um, because we're not going to reach as many people. Um, that we, that we could if we just connect them. Another thing we used in all my churches for equipping was, was life groups and building relationships. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that here in a little bit. Um, but life groups are an important part about practicing what we preach. Um, we called them life groups because it was about doing life with people. Um, we only limited our life groups to two Bible studies in the entire cycle. We intentionally did not want everybody doing a Bible study. And the reason was, most Adventists don't have a problem with breaking down the Bible and studying the Bible. We do not, we aren't so well at, at building relationships with non-believers. And we tend to want to always sermonize before we are just having a relationship with someone. And so that's what life groups existed for. Now, we would always do these, you know, life groups. You know, uh, we would always have a prayer, uh, you know, for the people who wanted a prayer meeting. You know, I didn't say, no, no more prayer meeting. We're doing life groups. I let them do, we called it a life group, a prayer life group, and it happened in the church. Um, but... Life groups were so incredibly key in practicing some of these training things, just doing life together. Um, we, did, we did a cyclical system. As a pastor, man, I can't, I can't stress how much this was a blessing, and we saw so much harvest from this. Life groups we would do for three months, we would cycle off that, and we would do a corporate preaching series for three months. That was evangelistic. And we would cycle off that after three months, and we'd go back to life groups. And we'd have sign-ups. You know, the Hispanic community is, is you know, life groups, they, man, they got it, and that's where I gleaned and learned a lot of the effective ways of doing life groups because, man, they're killing it. Um, some of our other churches struggle with that a little bit more, and I think if we're going to be effective in our harvest, 
We've got to get better at, at, at doing life groups, doing life together. So we'll do life groups for three months, cycle off, and then before life groups are over, we've had a promotional created for our midweek preaching series. Um, it's on, maybe it's on Daniel, maybe it's on Revelation, maybe it's on something completely, maybe it's on the Sermon on the Mount. I did a series called The Upside Down Kingdom, and it, it, you know, whatever it is, but that, that midweek preaching series, there's going to be good worship, there's going to be good teaching, and it's going to be evangelistic, meaning anybody can walk in off the street and identify with what I'm saying, and I'm not using just a bunch of Adventist jargon or just talking to people like it's just Adventists in the room, even if it's just Adventists in the room. Because you've got to be ready for someone to show up. You know, if we don't expect it, it's not going to happen. We were doing one of these upside-down, uh, one of the midweek preaching series, and one of my church members, because she knew it was going to be a safe place to bring her friend, she knew I wasn't going to get up there and bash this group or bash that group. So she started inviting her friends, and she invited one of a, a local entrepreneur who owned multiple restaurants in that community, and he came. And, and through that, uh, I, I started developing a relationship with this guy and building relationships. Our people will bring their friends and neighbors to stuff when we're intentional about making it a safe place for people to come. Um, sowing, always sowing seeds and empowering people. Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant, and if they watch every cloud, they never harvest. Um, one of the things that is much more popular in a reaping series is a shorter series. I only do a week-long reaping series. Um, and the reason is because I really, the church, we need the church to be doing that pre-work, the sowing. We can't expect a great harvest if we're not willing to sow. And the reason why I used to, the evangelist would come in for, for well, there was a time where they used to come in for six weeks. And the idea was, the evangelist would come in, you know, they would build relationships. They needed six weeks because they needed to build relationships with the people and they needed to go over those testing truths slowly so they could get in and visit with the people. And then they had to cultivate those relationships and then they had to do the visitation. And basically, they have to do all the things that we really need to equip the church members to do. And then we wonder why people leave when the evangelist left. Well, it wasn't the evangelist's fault. It's just that, A, he was the only one who actually spent time with the people. Or um, we didn't follow up with the people. I mean, it, you know, and that's just the reality. And people say, well, maybe we baptized them too soon. No, that is not why. People don't leave because I'm not saying it's never happened. Maybe it's happened before. But most of the time when people leave, it's not because they didn't know enough. It's because they were not loved enough. They need to be loved. They need to be surrounded. They need to be, you know, together. And so my training, I'm equipping my members. I'm teaching my greeters to be intentional about recognizing new people that come in. And I tell my leaders, I'm not trying to be rude, but if I see someone come into the church that I don't recognize, I'm stopping my conversation with you and I'm going to them. I'm going to engage them. And I'm not going to do it in an overbearing sort of like, 
because I think we can come on too strong, too hard. I got to respect people's territorial bubbles. But I want to model to my members to have a vision of evangelism. I'm looking for the new person. I'm looking for the unchurched. Um, well, well, but pastor, don't the members that have been there forever just as important as the, as the unchurched, the new believer? Well, 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 yeah, it's not a matter of importance. It's a matter of urgency. So I don't love the newcomer anymore, but they need my love more. Jesus left. You know, the, a good shepherd leaves the 99 for the one. Well, did he love the 99 less than the one? No, it's just the, the, the 99 weren't lost. Um, and so equipping and training our church members, um, you know, to understand this and, 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 to, and to model that for them is so incredibly key, um, is just really investing time into, into new believers and new people and discipling them. Um, that's how we start sowing a relationship into people. We will naturally migrate towards people that we're comfortable with, that we know, and we got to be intentional about saying, hey, who in this room do I not know? Um, and really making a point to, to, to kind of go, go in to them and love on them. Uh, I already mentioned the midweek preaching series. We would cycle on and off. Um, I'm always doing evangelism, sowing and reaping events throughout the year. It's not just one event. Um, the midweek preaching series, Relevant, Empowering Worship, it was something that was worth people's time. You know, these were some of the ones that we did. So a month before life groups come to a close, we've got postcards that life groups can have to give to people that are in their life group and invite them to come or not to if it's not the right time. Um, and then a month before our midweek preaching series is over, we're promoting life groups. And we have signups in the foyer. And we're always in this cycle of cycling on and off it gives the members a break because when you just do life groups and it's like for eternity, people get burned out. They're not going to sign up. If you ask someone, hey, will you be a small group director? You know, that's like indefinitely. You know, what are you saying for eternity? <laughs> no, just for two months, three months. Would you be willing to do this? Most of them would repeat it. Um, but, but not necessarily. And we're, so we're, we're, we're using that as a way to bless. A lot of the ministries, because we have this silo ministry mentality, and you've got to somehow find a way to bring all your ministries and align them in one mission as much as possible. And so Life Groups was a great way to do that. So we had the Bags of Love ministry. That's a great ministry. We're, we're, we're calling it a Life Group. And not only Bags of Love Life Group, and not only does it bless us because it, it, it brings us all together, but it blessed them because now every time we do signups, people are hearing about bags of love. You know, every time we do this, you know, whether it be women's ministry or some of the other ministries, it was a way that would help promote theirs, but it brought it under the umbrella of the church. We're in one mission, and this is the vision, and this is the way we're going. Sewing, um, connection cards. Uh, every church, man, we, we have ways to connect with people. Um, most of the time they were in the church pew and I could refer to them, you know, where people can make decisions for baptism right away. Have a Bible study system. 
We get all of our churches on interest lead generator that SermonView does. It's a great program that, that, that guarantees a certain amount of leads, good, solid leads. And what I really love about lead generator is used to you would do a mass mailing of Bible study enrollment cards and, and, and you would get inundated with like 100 Bible study leads. And you just couldn't, you couldn't keep on to them. You know, you couldn't visit them in time, and those go, those go cold very fast. And so what I like about Lead Generator is it, give it, it gives it to you in a manageable amount of time. All right, so, man, keeping an interest list. You know, this is basically my prayer list. So when, when, when I have a baptism of somebody, I'm, I'm getting to know their family. I'm getting to know their, their do they have a spouse? You know, you know, I start making these connections and I develop a list of individuals who, you know, for whatever reason, um, are, are either far from God or, or we just want to develop a relationship with them. Um, have a list. If you don't like the name interest list, that's okay. Call it something else. But you got to be intentional about following up with people when it comes to having a harvest. We got to be serving um, the number one thing that describes the church that, that is ready for when Jesus comes is the word servant. He doesn't say, well done, good and faithful Adventist. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. We got to serve. I already talked about some of the compassion events we've done. Habitat for Humanity is a phenomenal thing that we always did with my churches, and you're rubbing shoulders with other people. We did a Christmas program for our community at dinner where actually we, we limited the amount of members. The only way members could come is if they brought a, non, if they brought a couple of non-Adventists to the dinner. You've got to be invitational like that, intentional. Because if you're not, it will just become another inward-focused event. And so we made it to where it's like, hey, we want you to come to this, but, but this is evangelistic. This is about our community. So you've got to bring someone with you to come. Um, and I stood out at the front door like a, like a bouncer. And I made, no, I didn't do that. But... <laughs> I, I was there greeting people and stuff like that. And people came, we welcomed them. But, you know, I was hoping that if I was standing there at the front, they'd feel really guilty coming to that lunch, that dinner without bringing a guest. Um, another thing we would do is we would do what we called our 4th of July or Labor Day block parties. This was a part of our year of evangelism. So one of the churches that, that I had the privilege of planting was the Ridge in Clinton, Mississippi, and we would always, every year, do a Labor Day block party. Everyone's welcome. And, and look, I didn't have to pay for that advertising. You know, I did not have to pay for that. That was free. Because when you love your community like you should love your community, it, it starts getting attention. Okay? So this was open to the community. We went out into the community with, with invitations. Hey, man, we're going to have a meal, and we're going to have a lot of fun activities for the kids. Come out. We're a new church in town. We'd love to get to know you. Come out. Um, we did not solicit for Bible study leads at this event. We had our, we had our stuff around, so if people wanted to grab something, they could. But we didn't. This was not. We wanted to love our community just to love on our community and get to know people. Also, we got sponsors from a lot of local restaurants that provided all the food. This was a very low-budget event, and we did it every year. Chick-fil-A provided um, uh, the chicken sandwiches for the people and, 
And, and, you know, and, and, and people may be thinking, well, man, you served, you know, meat at these events. Yes, we did. And that's because it wasn't about what we wanted to eat. It was what does the community eat? We're there to feed the community. And, and I once, I, I did have one Adventist come and, and she wasn't even a member of the church, but she came and, and she was walking through line and she said, you know, she said, what, no vegan option? And she came up to me and was kind of complaining there that there was no vegan option. And I, I lovingly said, you know, I understand what you're saying, but this was not for Adventists. This was for non-Adventists. And we need to meet people where they are. You know, uh, if you think that that is somehow letting down the standards by feeding someone something that they're going to eat, then I, I just got to disagree with you there. I don't believe giving someone a, a veggie burger that, again, cultures are different. Here, might work fine. In Jackson, Mississippi, you feed them a veggie burger, and they're going to say, this is gross. We're never coming back. Okay? Um, we got to meet people where they are. Uh, this was about the community. This was not about us. Um, and so we did have other health events. You know, not every event has to be a health event. Okay? Feed people what they're going to eat. Um, this is so important. Ellen White says that when the customs of the people do not come in conflict with the law of God, you may conform to them. In fact, she says you need to conform to them because if you don't, you will set a stumbling block for them coming to Jesus. Okay? Um, and so these are some things just to think about. You don't have to do it the same way. I get it. But this is what we did, and this is what we saw a great success, was, was by providing a meal. It was all clean. You know, I had another saint come up to me, not for this event, for another event, and say, you know, um, you, you know she complained, and, and I said, well, you know, Jesus, because um, a new believer had brought a, a chicken, uh, a chicken um, loaf, made with real chicken. So the deaconesses run up to me and say, Pastor, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? You know, like this was big problem. Alert, alert. And I said, serve it. Yes. You know, label it, but serve it, you know. Um, and and, and I, was, I was so proud of my church. They did it, and they were all loving people. The meat eaters, because 90% of my members ate meat, but should they flip out when you, serve, when you had it at potluck? doesn't make any sense. And, and, and so then, you know, so everybody's going through a line. I'm like, ah, oh, we made it without anything. And then sure enough, that, that one saint walks through the line and just announces to the world, meet who brought this to potluck. And, you know, I look over at the new member who put a lot of time and energy into that. Um, and their feelings were more important than her. And, and, and so, and, and, and I just, I said, I don't know, but man, it sure does look delicious. And I got a big scoop of it, put it on my plate and it was good. I'm not, I'm not lying here. Um, and, and, and you see, we, we gotta be about loving people and yes, have the health seminars. We did the reversing diabetes. We did the winning weight, you know, the, the, the healthy weight management programs. We did all that. But, you know, we, we, we've gotta do, meet people where they are. And when they're ready for that, they're ready for that. So these are some ways that we served. Unchained. That was another way we served, you know. Uh, I wanna share this. Um, 
So we did one of these, one of our revitalization campaigns in Sarasota, Florida, and um, the pastor, so we limit and unchained, we don't want them all to be the special guests. So it's a 10 part series. Each episode, you interview someone with an addiction, local person, and uh, we don't, we only want half of those to be Adventists. The other half were like, we want non-Adventists because we want to be able to connect with non-Adventists. When you have non-Adventists as guests, then they're sharing your content and you're suddenly breaking in to a non-Adventist context. And so we may, you know, and so this pastor loved, loved him to death. He, he went to his ministerial association and he promoted Unchained. Well, this guy, Mark, he is the chairman of that ministerial association, multi-denominational ministerial association. And he has a lot of experience with working with people in recovery. And he lined up five guests and he was one of them that would be a part of Unchained. And he started developing a relationship with the pastor. And it was really awesome. Then he started coming to church. You know, he wanted to see what this church was all about. Then when I did my reaping series, because this is one of our bridge programs to our reaping event, he came to every single one of those meetings, my reaping series. And every night he brought a non-Adventist. Okay. See, I'm connecting with people. We're connecting with people. So Mark comes, you know, I made a lot of appeals. Mark didn't make that decision for baptism or to join the church. And that was okay. And I told the pastor, you know what? He is a, is a, I mean, he's, he is a, he is a way for you to get into that ministerial association and connect with people. You know, now may not be the time for them to become a member. That's in God's hands. Well, as the Holy Spirit kept working, he started going to the pastor's new believers class. And the Holy Spirit did his job, man. And sure enough, uh, the other day, he reaches out to me and he says, hey, Richie, pray for me because Mark has made a decision um, to join the church by profession of faith. And this I share because I want you to see the value of just building relationships and, and doing what we're called to do. Whether they make a decision for baptism or not, we will not have a successful harvest if we are not investing in people's lives. It's not going to happen. It is not going to happen. So, sowing, vision, budget, equipping, sowing, serving. We've got to invest all of this time and energy into this. This is so incredibly key. So, now let's segue a little bit into the reaping series. First, let me ask if there are any questions at this point on, on anything that we've covered. Um, that, that scan there is, is, you can go to my website and my social media connections or email or whatever if you wanna email me or stay in touch, find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you can do that. Uh, are there any questions about anything that I've touched on yet? Sure. So yeah, I, I appointed a leader. So I had a, a lay leader of life groups that I would, I would um, help coach through this process. Um, we didn't have any kind of curriculum or anything. Um, basically, the key with life groups, the only rule was, obviously, you don't do anything that the Bible tells us not to do. But it was just doing life together. And we did encourage people to pray before each life group. But again, we left that up to the local leader. You do sign up. So basically, I started recruiting some people that I knew was involved. But then we started casting this vision. Hey, we're going to do life groups. Life groups is just doing life together. It can be a hobby. 
It can be a sport. It can be anything. It's just intentional weekly um, uh, gatherings where we're getting together with people. And because it's much easier for someone to cross the threshold of your home before they'll ever cross the threshold of your church. So that's the only requirement that we really had, that they were, you know, we, I talked about the issues of like food. We strongly, it's not bad to do food, but the problem with food is the people who do the food, it's a lot of work and they get burned out and then they don't want to do small groups anymore. So we really strongly suggested don't, don't, don't do a meal or, or food. Um, just do something that's simple and, and that, that is relevant to people's lives. And, and if people wanted to do food, they could do food. But I, I did give them that, that, that warning. The good thing with the cycle system is they know that they see an end in sight. Um, we had all kinds of life groups. We had, there was a, uh, sewing, uh, a, a life group. There was a um, basketball life group. In fact, our biggest life group of non-Adventists was our basketball life group. A local college would come and every week we, we opened our gym and we played. We didn't just open our gym, we played basketball with them. And it's funny because I would go too and before long, these, these individuals I became friends with, they're calling me pastor. And, you know, I'm not their pastor. We're building relationships. We had an audiophile life group. These are people who like to build sound systems and speakers. And they love music and, you know, uh, you know record players and stuff like this. And so we had an audiophile life group. And, you know, we're just kind of this hobbyist life group of, of people. And we, we had a good little group that got together. We had um, a mountain biking life group. We had, I mean, you name, we had an art painting life group. I mean, you name it, and, and we had it. So these are hobbies. These are things that you find interest. Because when we, when we show people that their passions and ministry can, in, in, that they can align then they get on fire for it. Then you don't have to like, it's not like pulling teeth. They want to do it. And every cycle, we would say, okay, signups for life groups are happening starting in two weeks. If you want to lead a life group, get with John, you know, connect with him. And he would connect with them and he would talk with them and, and we'd put it on the list. And so for about a month, we have these sign-ups where people can sign up and then the life group leader can reach out to them and follow up with them. So that's what, what it was. It wasn't any particular one-hour weekly events that, that would only be for about two-month or three-month commitments. And uh, that was a way we got so much more buy-in. So, yeah. Sure. Good question. Um, so, no, we didn't, we did not put any, like, rule on how many Adventists could be there or, or, or not, um, because we just needed to get in a rhythm, and I don't know how it is here, but even the church, we don't always get together beyond the weekly church service. So, we have to get in a habit of getting together, 
Um, and, and then we would, through, again, through a variety of ways, every time we came up a cycle, you know, we're, we're doing all this other stuff where we're encouraging them to be praying for their members, we're getting to know your neighbors and stuff like that, and inviting your neighbors. And so we're kind of coaching them to do this. Some of them would do it, some of them wouldn't do it. But the more they did it, the more they got to a place where they would invite people. And I would say most all of our life groups would. They invited non-Adventists to come and they came. Neighbors. These are people that they already had a relationship with. So if, if you have an interest in a, in, in, in a certain hobby, chances are you've already got connections with people who are already interested in that. So our mount, mountain biking people already had connections with mountain biking people. You know? I had a, one of my members owned a biking store and man... He took people out every week mountain biking, and none of them were Adventist, and so he, he was able to invite them. So again, I don't, I don't try to micromanage that, um, but, but I, I, I just gently nudge, and the Holy Spirit nudges to just keep encouraging them. Don't forget, this is for the community. So are we inviting people to this? And I'll say that in the board meetings. I'll say that in my elders meetings. You know, I'll say this at any little point. Um, and, and we'll just really encourage that way. So, um, and we did. We saw a lot of relationships built. I don't have any hard data for you, but all of our life groups, I think the last time we did it, I think we had probably 30 life groups. And almost all of them had had a non-Adventist join uh, those life groups a couple of times. And for me, that's a huge win um, because that wasn't happening before. So good stuff. Yes. Uh, there's several different ways. Now what we tell our churches, if we do a revitalization campaign, we tell them, um, encourage them to go meet with the local county official. So meet with the mayor, the mayor's office. I mean, depending if it's a small town or a big town. Uh, when we planted that church, and every church we plant in the Southern Union, we encourage them to go to the local government and ask them, introduce them. Hey, we're starting a new church. What are the three biggest needs in, that you see in this local community? Um, and so we listen to what they said, because they usually have a pretty good pulse on some of the community needs. Another great resource is um, this program called Mission Insight. And Mission Insight is, is a software program where you can, you can enter, look at a demographic, do a radius search, and it'll tell you what the three biggest concerns are to people in that area. Um, and that's called Mission Insight. So we did one for one of my churches, and the biggest thing was financial security. You know, so hey, maybe we do some financial, maybe a financial peace uh, seminar or, or a different seminar uh, on financial, you know, do something on that. One of them was on mental health. And so that's a very good question. Mission Insight, talk to your local community. What are some of the needs in your local community? Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, all of these things. A senior center, man, one of the churches... Um, where, we, where, where I was had a large concentration of seniors, and this was not an Adventist church. I wish it was. Um, but they provided, it was a very large church, they provided um, free tax filing for all their seniors. Um, 
you know, the most underserved demographic in the church, you want to know what it is? It's, it's single moms. You know, so find intentional ways of serve, serving single moms in your community. Um, one of our churches, we, you know, we offered free uh, oil changes for single moms, you know. Um, and, and so there's a lot of practical things that you can do, you know, for single moms. Um, and we got our single moms involved in that ministry because I don't know how to best serve single moms, but a single mom knows how to serve a single mom. Yes. And, and so instead of us telling people what they need, let's listen to people and let them tell us what we need. So those are a few ways um, that we did it. Mission Insight, meeting with your local you know, officials. Not only that, you need to meet these people. You need to get to know them. Get to know the, 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 the police chief. Get to know these individuals. Um, and, and that way they'll tell you. And when we collaborate with the local community in doing ministry, man, beautiful things happen. So great. Yes. Okay. It's great. A couple things. I do think that if one word originated, and there's a lot of words that originated in hell, <laughs> but if there's one word that I know originated in hell, it's, it's that word. Because nothing has... Um, and, and it's a reality of the world that we live in. And we've got to be aware of it. And we can't stick our heads in the sand. But, but nothing I've seen neutralize mission and ministry at a board than bringing up liability. And it seems like, you know, I talked about the negative Nancys earlier. It seems like they're always the ones to bring up the liability. It's like, hey, let's go to the park and do this. Yeah, but pastor, what about liability? Okay, okay, well then let's go over and let's do this. Well, what about liability? And we got to talk about liability because it's a very real reason. And we ran into that with the oil changes. You know, what do you do? Well, first thing is we didn't let anyone who didn't know how to change oil change oil. And um, one way we found around that is rather than, because originally it was like, let's have them come to the church and let's do it at the church. And that came up. And, and that was, I think, a legitimate concern is what happens when some, you know, something goes wrong. I still, for me, I, don't, I, don't, I, 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 I didn't see that as a deal breaker, but a way that I found around that was we approached it instead as, as um, you know, we would do that kind of in, in, you know, on a one-on-one -on -one basis more as an individual, and we would do it at their home. We did have them, you know, waivers are okay, but if you talk to most attorneys and, and church organizations, you know, they are absolutely no way any kind of a deterrent when you get into a lawsuit. Um, really, what I've heard, that waivers really don't do anything much, hardly at all. Um, but we did, we had the waivers to sign and somebody else, maybe at Adventist Risk Management or somebody else could answer questions about waivers a little bit better. You're always going to have people who are going to be very much kind of thinking very conservatively on that. And you know what? We need those people to help us because the other us are in the other extreme like me. And I'm like, hey man, let's just, let's do it. And we help keep each other in check, but, but we can also find a solution for every problem. And so one way we found around it was, okay, let's empower some of our local people and go in there as just, you know, and, and these are people that we knew, these were people that were in our neighborhoods, and we did this as a neighbor, but we didn't do this as an official organization. Does that make sense? So that's, that's one way around it. 
Um, but ultimately, I think we've gotta, we do have to get to a place where we just step out in faith and do some of these things and risk that. Because there, there's liability in everything. And we, we've just, we've, we can't stop doing ministry and mission that's relevant to people's lives. So I don't know if that answered your question. Um, but, you know, I, I, I just think there's ways to... Sometimes we can do things and not do it as an official church thing and we can kind of empower some of our leaders to just be that. I, I don't know. There, there's just there's ways around it, but I don't know. I don't want to be liable for that. No, no. I'm going to have you sign a waiver after the presentation. No. No, I, I appreciate that, and I'm glad. I mean, there is a solution to every problem, and, and let's make sure that we're not using that liability word as just a way to, um, to not do ministry. And I do think the devil has used it as a way to keep us from being relevant and to keep us from doing ministry. So um, we, we've got to be honest and open about that because there's a lot of things. If we were to really get into that, there's a lot of liability. There's things that we do on a regular basis, um, and, you know, and, and we don't get as excited about that as we do about this. Um, but we start talking about really getting involved in the community and, and people are going to have bring up the, the L word. So uh, I appreciate you, man, and your ministry. Yes. That's great. And, and, and another thing with, with teaming up with the mechanic shop is you're building relationships. You know, you're supporting a local business. You know, so yes, bravo. I think that's another important point. Sometimes we go into this um, and we think, Oh, that we want to open a food bank. This area needs a food bank. And we did that in one of my churches. And that's what we were going to do. We were going to start a food bank. When we did our research and met with all the local food banks, we found out, they basically said, please don't open another food bank. Because we have a system and a network of food banks. And we don't just want to feed people. We want to also help them be accountable. And we want to teach them and empower them to, to, to just better their lives. And so they had a system in place. And if we had just started our own, then we would have just kind of really been more of a problem than a help. And so we asked, well, how can we help you? And they said, the biggest thing is if you would come and volunteer and help support our food bank. And, you know, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We don't always have to be the ones doing everything. Um, uh, you know, we did a community garden uh, for, for the, you know, we did that because that's something the, the food bank didn't do. And so we did a community garden. We brought food and produce, fresh produce to the, to the locals. So that, that's another thing to kind of give you an example. You team up with local organizations. Yes. Good. So, so here's what I found with, with Bible workers. Big believer in Bible work. I, I'm a big believer in, in, I call them Bible worker coordinators. Because, again, the risk we run into sometimes in the church is if we hire a Bible worker, what the members immediately think is, okay, we're hiring someone to do Bible work, and then that lets us off the hook. So, so I, you know, I think we got to always challenge the members like, no, you know, this individual we're bringing in, they're here to equip us. And we have monthly meetings. The, the, the Bible worker coordinator has monthly meetings with the Bible working team. They train them. They coach them. They encourage them. And this, for me as a pastor, was the hardest thing for me 
was I would do a training for my members to do Bible studies, and we'd get these leads, we'd go out. But man, after a month, I get busy doing this. Life happens. And before you know it, a couple months go by, and I'm not able to coach and cheer them in on, and stay on that group like, I, like you really need to in order to keep things going. So having someone come in, bringing someone in, a Bible worker that's been trained, equipped to come in and, and come alongside a church and to recruit Bible workers. And I mean, for me, my last church, I had a full-time Bible worker coordinator because um, I've had a lot of bad experiences with Bible workers, um, but I've had a lot of good experience with Bible workers. I mean, that's just everything. Um, but my Bible worker there, I had never seen anything like it, um, and, and it was just in this regular, systematic meeting with the local church, giving her regular time to get up and make a two-minute plug. Hey, if you're interested in being trained to do Bible studies, you know, we're going to be meeting this afternoon. Um, we supported her, uh, not just her cost, but we supported, if she said she needed something, we supported it financially. Bible study guides, we tried to rally behind her as much as possible. So, it can work, and it's phenomenal, and it's great. Um, what we do now is, we usually, the first thing we do when we're meeting with a local church is we see if they have someone who can fill that role as a Bible worker that can be trained. Because parachuting a Bible worker in that's not from that local community, if they can't stay there a little bit more, um, at least a year, six, I haven't seen a lot of success, to be honest, with someone going in for three months before, two months before a meeting and then doing a meeting. I have seen success when we have someone go in, train a local Bible worker that we help sponsor that's going to be there for at least a year. Um, and again, their point is not primarily to do all the Bible work. It is they are equipped. Now, they're doing Bible work, but they're also equipping members to do Bible work. Um, and so for us, that's try, what we look at. We try to find a local person who is doing Bible work or is effective in that or someone that the pastor or some local people can identify as being able to serve in that purpose. And then we'll bring them in for one of our training. Um, we're, doing, we're doing a series down in Florida and he identified one of his members, a young person who's on fire for the Lord, who's good with people, and he's sending him to our SALT training um, the Southern uh, Lay Training event, that intensive. He's going to have two weeks of intensive training, and then he's going to go back there where he lives, and he's going to help train um, the members to assist him in this. So that's kind of what we've seen as being the best success, um, but um, that, that's kind of what we're doing right now at this time. It's still kind of a work in progress. I've seen Bible work work extremely well in certain contexts, and I've seen it not work so well in others. So, um, you know, I'm still, we're, we're still playing with that a little bit. Um, but those are some of the things that we're doing with Bible work. Um, bottom line is we've got to have our members in there developing relationships and getting into this because we want to have a week-long meeting. Remember, Adventists love it when I say, hey, the meeting's only a week long. 
But then, they're also the ones who are going to be running up to me because we didn't do the pre-work and they're going to be losing it because someone makes a decision to be baptized and they don't think that they know enough to be baptized. Pastor, they've only been coming for, you know, it's only three days. And you know what? There are people that come in straight off the street that maybe it's not time for them to be baptized yet um, or become a part of that church. And so, but then I'm like, well, you wanted the short meeting, then you got to be willing to do the pre-work that allows us to do a short reaping series. Otherwise, you can't do a short reaping series. Does that make sense? We can't have, we can't, as the old saying goes, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You don't get to have a short, super short reaping series and then not do any pre-work because that series is going to roll around. Holy Spirit's going to do His job. There are going to be people there and, and, you know, and, and we want to have a good reaping. And so we need to follow up with them. I think it's also important to train your members that, that a lot of training happens on the other side of baptism and not on the front end of baptism. And, and I'm going to be talking about that a little bit more tonight when I really go over appeals. But we, we've, we've switched that. The Gospel Commission says teaching them to observe all things. That's after baptism. It's not before. People need to have a basic understanding because they're joining the church. So they need to have that basic understanding. And I go over that with them. You know, um, in one of our week-long series, we had someone come in off the street, never knew anything. Um, you know, they, they, I mean, they, they hadn't been worked with, with the pre-work. No Bible worker had met with them. They came in. We always have those individuals come in, and they made a decision to be baptized. Um, and so I met with them, and I said, praise the Lord for your decision. And, you know, and I started talking with them about this, and and, and going through, you know, praise the Lord. And, and, you know, when you're baptized, you're going to become a part of our family. Absolutely, Pastor. We want to do that. We want to join this church. We live just a minute down the road. Awesome. I'm always affirming them in their decision. That's awesome. You know, as an Adventist church, you know, we believe, as, as you've heard in this meeting, we believe in worshiping on the, on the seventh day, the Sabbath, according to the Bible. Yes, Pastor. You know, we believe that. You know, sometimes we think that just because someone showed up at a meeting, they don't know what we as Adventists believe. People aren't stupid. You know, people do their study. Not only that, you know, we don't have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we're just connecting dots that the Holy Spirit already has convicted them of. In fact, every meeting I've ever done, I don't, every single time, someone's like, Pastor, I've always wondered about this text, um, you know, about death. I've always wondered about this. This didn't seem right. I always wondered why. And you're just, Holy Spirit's doing His thing. So I also don't think we need, people don't need to be able to, you know, do a dissertation on the 2300-day prophecy before we baptize them. Because most of our members <laughs> probably would struggle with that. Um, we're we're, we're going to need to take just a... Uh, so so I want to I share this one little segment here in style. And then we're going we're gonna to stop because uh, we're, we're almost... I want to give you guys a good little break um, and visit with some people one-on-one -on -one afterwards if you would like. But those are all great questions. I want to talk for just a minute about style. And then we'll close with a word of prayer and we'll get into the rest of the series um, the rest uh, in part two. There is not just one style or series of evangelism. Um, I grew up, my dad did, you know, prophecy series, 
And, and I, do a, I do several prophecy series. You know, and, and I don't believe we should throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, prophecy, Revel, Revelation and Daniel are still very relevant books of the Bible. And you can preach prophecy and do it relevantly and connect with people and get good results. And I think too often it's this either or and we need all of the above. And I talked about that a little bit earlier. I don't have to tear down your style. I, I went to an event once. I'm not going to say what, where it was. But they, they held up, they, they held up a, a handbill. You know, that had the Beast of Revelation on there. And very cynically, and, and I found it rudely, said, who in the world would ever want to come to something like this? Well, I look around the room, and here's a bunch of Adventists. Well, I don't really care what the Adventists want to come to. You know, he's asking a bunch of Adventists. I'm not out to get just more Adventists. It's not about what I want. It's about what does the community have questions about? What do they want? So I think there's that extreme of who would ever, you know, and we want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But then there's the other extreme of it, it has to be this way, otherwise it's not evangelism. That it has to be in Revelation, and it's got to be like this. And when you preach Daniel 2, it has to be like this, this, this. And, and I think both those extremes are wrong, and I think we need to grow in both those areas. Um, I, I am a big believer we need all of the above. Um, there are some prophecy series I've been to where I did hear more about the beasts than, than the Lamb of God. And that was not a good experience. And you know what? I learned from that not having them back to my, my church. I've had evangelists. No joke. I could tell you stories. Uh, evangelists who... who who uh, and my family, we, we got story after story of evangelists going through people's cupboards to make sure they don't have any, you know, don't have, you know, any meat or coffee or, or this or, or in, in their cupboards. You know, I could tell you story after story of very negative forms of evangelism. So I don't, I'm not suggesting that we don't need to change some things. We do. But let's not get caught up in, in the style. Let's use all styles. Um, if, if, hey, Revelation is really, uh, I've got a friend who calls it the fifth gospel. There, there is more Jesus in Revelation than any book of the Bible. It is all about Jesus. And you can preach Re Revelation in a very relevant Christ-centered way that speaks to people's issues right now. So there's not one style or series of evangelism. Now, when, it, when you're talking reaping series, there is this element where we can sometimes come into it and we don't want to learn from the people who have done this before. And I think that's a danger too. I've seen a lot of young pastors come out of school and they're like, well, we're not going to do that because that doesn't work because they heard someone say that. We're not going to do that. I'm going to just do a series on, you know, on, 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 on uh, you know, Jesus. And I'm like, praise the Lord. Any series, I want it to be on Jesus. But in the Bible Belt, you know, in our evangelism reaping meetings, you always got to show people what you're going to be giving them that they don't currently already have. And so 
you know, their prophecy and revelation, it does, especially in certain areas, it, it connects because people have a lot of questions about that that they are not currently getting answered. And so again, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's learn from evangelists that have been there, done that, ones that are Christ-centered, gospel-oriented, grace-oriented evangelists. Let's learn from individuals like that. Let's glean the principles, but let's fight in our own armor. Um, but we don't have to tear one down. And I, and I think um, Jose Cortez, on the first night of this, I've seen some of the stuff on Facebook, he touched on some of this. Uh, this is what I love about we're kind of getting away from this mentality. Because when I first got into ministry, it was always like, forget, you know, it was like, these people are wrong and this is right. Or these people are wrong, this is right. And, and it was an either or. And now it's becoming more of a both and. Let's adjust it. Let's evaluate our methods. Make sure it's Christ-centered. Um, one of my issues with the old school evangelistic meetings, you know, is that, that only one, like, like I, 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 it struck me early in ministry, you had one sermon. Now, the good evangelists that I love and appreciate, they're, they're, all their sermons were filled with the gospel. But when I would look at some of their subject titles, they'd have like 28 sermons and just one of them would be gospel. The gospel is not just one of 28 sermons. The gospel has to be in every sermon we ever preach. Everything is gospel. I don't care what you're preaching on. Health, whatever. You, you know, and, and I'm going to talk about that more this afternoon. The Bible was written not as a hodgepodge of individual verses of morality that we're called to proof text people with. The Bible was written as what? A narrative, a biblical story, a love story. So we've got to preach our evangelistic series, not just as a hodgepodge of, you know, do this, 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 and then be saved, because that's not the gospel. The gospel is not, you know, do this, 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 and you'll be saved. The gospel is you are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, period. And then as an experience of that grace and that transformative, you know, as I, as the Holy Spirit starts transforming my life and he's restoring his image in me, I want to live uh, uh, the way God created. I don't obey to be saved. I'm saved and therefore I obey. And so sharing from the lens of biblical narrative and, and tying it into the overarching story of the Bible so how do we preach Jesus in health message? Oh man, you can. It's a powerful message. How do I preach Jesus in, in the message of the destruction of the wicked? Man, man, people, you know, we've got people every Sunday preaching this idea that God is torturing people for all eternity and burning them in hell. You know, what, what, what a terrible misrepresentation of God. Share the message of, of hell. You can share great. It, it's all through the lens of Jesus Christ. And, and you can do it. We've got to make much of Jesus. And so if it's much of Jesus, if it's biblical, then man, preach that thing. Learn some of those principles of good reaping preaching. Make appeals. One of the series that I'm doing is, is a series called The Darkness Will Not Overcome. I first wrote it and developed it for Andrews. Um, I went and did a week-long uh, evangelistic series with Dwight and, 
and Rodley up there at Pioneer Memorial Church. We did a week-long reaping series, and it is a, it is a series, it is evangelistic. Each night we're looking at the, the seven signs that make up the first half of John's gospel, and we're breaking down you know, some of the principles behind these signs, and we're making appeals, and we're preaching evangelistically, and, and I'm using that series throughout my evangelism, and God is blessing So we don't all have to do ministry the right way, but we need to learn from each other some of the different principles and tools uh, that we can use. So uh, we'll talk a little bit more, get into time of year, stuff like that. We spend a lot of time on time of year. Look, just start doing evangelism. That would be my advice. Yeah, I've seen a lot of good meetings done in the beginning of the year and spring and fall, but I've done good meetings. I've I've had good success in in summer. I think sometimes we, we spend too much time on this, and, and, and just do it. Um, you know, most of my meetings are only a week long, and that kind of forces our churches to get into that pre-work process. Uh, I believe in an hour-long evangelistic series, I mean, an hour-long meeting each night, and I stick to that hour. Because if you hold people too long each night, you'll start to see a drop in your, in your attendance. And so um, we go an hour long, uh, seating. Some people love the table seating. That works for some evangelists. That's great. Use it. But that doesn't work for everybody's evangelistic style. Okay? So, so use, fight in your own armor, learn from each other, and, and go accordingly. A lot of my evangelism is much more worship-oriented. I want to have you know, dynamic music and worship and, and praise, and then I, we get right into preaching, and then, we, and, and then it's over in just an hour. And so the table seating isn't always as, you know, it, it doesn't always fit the, the dynamic of what I'm going for, but a lot of people use it and they love it, and that's great. So just find a way. It's not, again, not either or, it's both and. Worship. Make evangelistic meetings worshipful. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. If you just have truth, it's not enough. We need spirit and truth. Whatever music you do, do it well. I'm not going to get into the hymn only or the praise music only, but do it to the glory of God. Don't stand up there and, and just monotone leading music. In fact, I'll talk to the pastor and I'll ask him. I'll say, hey, do you have people who can lead music? Because that's a calling. That's a gift. That's a calling. People know how to lead you into worship. And that's not emotional manipulation. Give me a break. No, no, that's worship. Someone who's gifted at that. And so use someone. But if your church is not gifted in music, don't. Don't use music. You know, if you don't have someone and, and you don't, can't say, would anybody like to lead music? Because the one person who can't hold an, a note will be the one who volunteers to do your music. Um, you know, you don't have to do music just to do music. It's good if you can, but make sure the music's, you know, that it's, that it's worshipful. Um, so, Praise God for each one of you. Let me have a word of prayer. I'll be here to answer some questions if you have them afterwards, and I hope you can return to part two this afternoon. But if not, it's just been a blessing to have you here. Let me pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you for the awesome God that you are. Lord, we're so grateful that we can be about your business. 
We're so grateful that we can serve You and do ministry. And Lord, we're so grateful that You made us uniquely and different. Uh, I, I can only preach the sermon that You've given me. I can only reflect the image of You that You've given me. And so You've made us all uniquely and You've given us each a sermon. You've given us each a voice and a way to approach people that is unique. And I pray, Lord, that You would just empower us to do ministry in the way that only we can do it. And so that we'll reach people that only we can reach. Lord, I pray we will see individuals for what they are, individuals. And that we will love people. We will meet them where they are. And that we'll grow with them. That discipleship, and we don't dunk them and done with them. No, it's, it's a continual discipleship. Lord, I pray that you would just empower us to, to do the work that you've called us to do. That you would give us a mighty harvest. That you would reveal to us ways that we can connect with people um, in today's day and age, Lord. Because the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. And sometimes, Lord, the laborers want to work, but, but sometimes we don't know how to work. So, Lord, I just pray you would reveal your guidance with us, that you would empower us and you would go before us. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things we did at the Propel Conference was the practice of reflection. Stop for a moment and think about what you just heard. And at the Propel Conference, we even offered some reflection questions for you to consider. What was the big idea in this episode? How will you apply this in your own church? And when the episode finishes in a bit, I encourage you to pause for 5 or 10 or 15 minutes and just let your mind wander. Let this soak into your consciousness. This reflection time can be really powerful. Okay, that's it for this episode. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at podcast at propelconference.org. Special thanks to Richie Halverson for speaking at the Propel Conference this year and to eAdventist for sponsoring this episode. This has been the Propel Podcast, inspiration and training to grow your church. The Propel Podcast is sponsored by the North Pacific Union Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. The event recording services were provided by Adventist Learning Community, and the podcast is produced by the crew at Sermon View Evangelism Marketing. I'm Larry Witzel, wishing you God's richest blessing in your evangelistic journey. Please join us again next time for another episode of The Propel Podcast. Mm-hmm.